welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Living for Today podcast, where we will discuss the boundaries between reality and spirituality. I'll be your host, Ryan Kurzak. In today's maiden episode, we will discuss what it means to live for today, the purpose of this podcast, and reveal the content and characters in future episodes. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone to this brand new podcast, Living for Today. My name is Ryan Kurzak, and many of you know me, many of you don't, uh, many of you know a little bit about me. Um, this is going to be a bit of a personal podcast, while also trying to touch upon global issues that help us as individuals and in our society function a little better, function a little healthier, and possibly bring that whole idea of an enlightened world or enlightened culture a little closer to reality. Now, it is currently 8.59 a.m. on May 1st, 2019. Um, This is one of my favorite holidays, May Day. So it seemed like a good enough time to begin this podcast. There's so much to tell you, so much I want to get into, and that will have to come over the course of um, all these episodes that we have planned. And I've already got many of them scheduled and actually quite a few done just in the post-production stage. But let's start by, let me start by discussing where the inspiration of this podcast came from. And this will tap into many of my previous life experiences up until this point. Um, For many years, I've wanted to do a podcast, but despite reading podcasting for dummies and all these other things, it seemed kind of a royal pain So I spent most of my time focusing on YouTube videos. Um, I have two YouTube channels, one dedicated to Kriya Yoga meditation, the other dedicated to the uh, Vedic Indian science of astrology called Jyotish. Uh, That was very easy. You just make a video, post it, and people find it. But podcasting seemed kind of difficult with having to submit it to different sites and so on, so I never got around to it. Um, However, as life goes, um, it's become much easier these days. Um, But what brings us to this specific podcast, this specific effort? Well, this is going to take a little bit of a backstory. Um, For most of my life, I've been interested in philosophy, psychology, healing, health, from what I considered a place of trying to encourage others to live well, to live well. I went to college for psychology and philosophy, those were what my degrees were in, with the idea that if I could just understand a person's psychology or even my own psychology, or if I could just find that philosophy uh, that would allow us to live well, that pain would be minimized life would tend to be better. And so that's what my initial impulse was towards studying philosophy and psychology. But as I progressed through my studies, I came to realize that there was a a wall that it seemed that most psychologists and even most philosophers came to. They couldn't take it all the way. And it was at that time I was made aware of a book called Autobiography of a Yogi, and um, my girlfriend, later wife at the time, Melissa, she began taking alternative health and healing classes. Um, and so I was introduced to other ways of seeing the world. And this was all in the little town of Fairmont, West Virginia. So it was surprising. This was all happening in the very late 90s. And from that point, after I read Autobiography of a Yogi, it became a little more clear to me that possibly meditation, possibly yoga practice could pick up where psychology and philosophy left. So I began exploring this idea of meditation and yoga 
And we have to remember that yoga is not necessarily just simply the postures that you see people doing. And many people know this today, but for those who don't really pay much attention to yoga, it's not just about the postures. In a way, it's a path of living to allow a person to be more holistic, to understand how their diet affects their mind, how the entertainment that they feed their senses affects how they relate to the world, how we treat everyone, how that impacts our sense of happiness. So yoga is not just simply about postures or breathing exercises or meditation. It's actually a whole way of living such that us as individuals and as a society and beyond can try to be good to each other, can try to experience greater ease in life. And of course, when I was younger, I thought that that meant it would eradicate all suffering, um, which as the years go on, you learn that's not true. But it does allow a person to have more poise when things occur that cannot be prevented. But again, in the Yoga Sutras, there's the idea that pain, which has not yet been experienced, is to be avoided. And the whole purpose of that suture or that statement is simply to say, uh, try to find ways to live so that you're not causing more problems for yourself because you'll have enough to deal with in the long run. But anyway, back to the story. So we became interested in um, meditation. Um, Melissa was an overachiever interested in NASA and science. And um, eventually she began to see that uh, working too hard and uh, exhausting oneself isn't really worth it. So she switched her career vocation to that of becoming a massage therapist, which in turn led me to explore other forms of alternative healing. And then in time, uh, I also went back to massage therapy school, began specializing in craniosacral therapy, studied all the energetic techniques, studied Ayurvedic medicine, which again is the natural healthcare system of India, um, became more interested in meditation, uh, committed to a daily, consistent, intensive meditation practice. And this was all in um, my early 20s. Um, and from there, this proceeded for a number of years until eventually, uh, Around 2006, 2007, Melissa, having another impulse towards change, decided she wanted to impact the world in a, in a greater way. And so she went back to school to WVU to get her master's in public health because she enjoyed working with people, doing massage, helping individuals heal. But she wanted to impact uh, the world in, in, a, in a greater fashion. So she did this, and all the while, I continued to study the alternative means of healing. I became an authorized Kriya Yoga meditation teacher in that time, so I began doing some minor traveling to do workshops and seminars on meditation. I became much more involved in the yoga community, and then we had decided to move to Asheville, North Carolina, which was and probably still is, a hotbed for alternative spirituality and wellness. Um, there we spent 10 years. Um, at one point in time, I had been in charge of a meditation center, a Kriya Yoga meditation center. Uh, I had eventually given up doing body work, such as massage and craniosacral therapy and energetic healing, to focus on teaching meditation, but also to begin practicing full-time um, Vedic astrology, which is a form of counseling that people can benefit from. I developed a fantastic body of knowledge in books and um, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Ryan's Vedic Astrology. And I don't mean to toot my own horn with the fantastic body of knowledge, but um, I, I am proud of that body of work and how thorough I feel that it is began developing the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kriya Yoga Online, focusing on meditation. Um, so this was all happening in Asheville, and life was progressing in the way that we had always intended. We were living as best we could. We were uh, trying to be as conscientious and conscious as possible. We were dedicated to our spiritual path. We were dedicated to our work. And then um, one day, um, Melissa got sick. 
We had no idea what the issue was. She just had a swollen lymph node that wouldn't go away. And we tried alternative healing of all different kinds, from Ayurveda to acupuncture to energy healing to chiropractic. And we figured, well, you know, we've lived a good life. We've been vegetarian most of that life. We've exercised. We've rested and rejuvenated when we needed it. We took care of ourselves and each other, and we were good to each other. You know, surely this isn't going to be anything serious. It's going to be something that just passes. Um, but as it turned out, that, that ended up being probably one of the most aggressive forms of uh, leukemia that an adult could get. And so we spent uh, about a year and a half doing some quite intensive procedures, uh, medical procedures, and this was quite a shock considering that we had been primarily focused on natural health and well-being. We rarely ever went to the doctor, if at all. Um, and we assumed that due to our lifestyle choices that our genes would cooperate with us um, and that we would be able to have a long, healthy life. Although Melissa was more interested in that than I was. She was fascinated with the idea of blue zones and living to be 100 and all these sorts of things. But due to my temperament, which had the capacity to be depressed and bitter and morose at times, you know, I wasn't so enamored with life, so I would do my best, but, you know, if death came sooner than later, it wouldn't be a problem. So it was quite a shock to see that she was the one that got this diagnosis, um, and I was not the one that got the diagnosis. But anyway, we spent about a year and a half, and maybe at another time I'll go into more detail with this, because that in and of itself was a profound learning experience for both of us. Uh, could not have asked for something more powerful in regards to spiritual transformation, again, for both of us. Um, but again, that, that might have to be a topic for a, another time, and I'm sure it'll come up in future podcasts, as I do have scheduled uh, at least one colleague where we discuss the ideas of healing through dying, healing through death, and the power of death, and how we can look at it in a way that is actually healthy and uplifting and supportive put it into perspective such that it doesn't destroy us. And that was one of the things that Melissa came to and learned as this illness eventually uh, unbodied her, as C.S. Lewis might say, uh, was that she was completely healed, but not healed in body, but completely healed. And again, that will have to be another, another time, a topic for another time. But anyway, back to the point of this uh, general introduction. So after that year and a half of thinking she was getting well and actually overcoming this illness, and then it all come crashing down and her eventual passing, um, that led to quite, and still, it still is, quite an um, experience of self-reflection and diving deep into what is important. And... One of the things that stuck with me that Melissa learned, um, it's actually lesson nine, or was it lesson? Let's see here. Um, yeah, lesson nine in her book. She, she wrote a little book during the last seven weeks of her life, um, and she has these ten lessons of things that she learned. And lesson nine is be in the moment, not distracted into the future. And as she wrote in this book, as I type this, I don't know if I have hours or days or weeks left. What I do know is that I have now. That is all we have. And often we spend every second of every day distracting ourselves into the future. The future is an illusion. So focusing our awareness in this moment is all we can do. Now again, maybe you understand that, maybe you don't. Um, if you've never taken care of someone... Uh, that you care deeply about as they passed, you might not be able to relate to this, or at least in the way that she was intending. But that is the point of this podcast, is to help us find this, help us to come to an understanding of this without having to be at death's door. So that way we can really, truly live our life, be in the moments of our lives um, with no regrets. And that is one thing that still, in a way, baffles me about the experience with 
uh, Melissa's passing because, again, we had been together since I was 16. I did not know a life, an adult life, without her. And still, it seems inconceivable at times. But even as she went through the worst of these treatments, and even as she was told nothing else could be done, she repeated over and over again that she would not take back a minute. She would not take back a minute. And again, that ties into the idea that she had um, of being actually truly completely healed. Um, anyway, if, if you want to explore more of um, what she came to towards the end of her life, the little book that she wrote is called 10 Life Lessons to Free the Soul, A Cancer Journey and My Life Story. And it is available on Amazon. So you can explore that. And we'll talk more about it later. So all of this occurred um, all before my 40th birthday. In fact, I'm not quite there yet. But what was fascinating about all this is a few years before she got sick, a friend of mine, uh, another colleague, had recommended that I do a flotation tank, a sensory deprivation flotation tank. And in Asheville, you know, these things are available. So for my birthday, uh, Melissa had gotten me a, um, a gift certificate to one of these things. And, and she actually enjoyed it quite a bit. But I went and I did the sensory deprivation tank and it really wasn't much of anything for me. I didn't, I just felt like I was floating in darkness. Um, why that's the case, who knows? Maybe I can't quite appreciate it as the owner of the business told me. <laughs> Uh, but my experience was that uh, since I had been meditating for about 16 years at that point in time, that state of withdrawing my attention, I can do in meditation. So I didn't necessarily need the sensory deprivation tank for that. Uh, also floating in water, I would have preferred just taking a hot bath or being in a hot tub. And for the price of it, I thought it was a little bit ridiculous. But anyway, I'm sure many other people get benefits from it. I didn't. Except for halfway through as I was laying there, just completely in a blank, these words came into my mind. They said, you're going to die. Sat there, for, laid there for a moment and reflected upon that and thought, well, gee, that wasn't my voice. Um, what's that all about? And that was the extent of it. And after about an hour of laying in the flotation tank, I'd sort of let that go, and I had an hour and a half to go, but I decided, you know what, um, this is sort of, I'm an, I've had enough, you know, I can keep laying here in the water for another half hour, or I can get up and go about my day and get something done, because I've already meditated today. So I just got up, and I found the, the owner, and I uh, told him, so that was nice, but, you know, not much of anything, so I think I'm just going to head out, and he said, well, maybe you just, you just didn't get in the zone, did you really let yourself go, and he was trying to make all these things about how I was missing the point of the flotation tank. And I thanked him and said, no, it's all right, fine. Um, I'm sure it's wonderful for many other people. And I left. And I don't know if that was just something odd in my head that popped up. Um, but when I was younger, I did have this weird idea, like in my teens, that I wouldn't make it to 40, that I wouldn't live that long. I don't know why, it was just a sense I had. Um, and you know, one of the things... Yeah, I'm still not 40 yet, so who knows? There's still time. And if you knew about the stuff I had been through in the last 10 months after even Melissa passed, you'd think, well, it's often it might be possible for uh, him to check out. But uh, I realized, and Melissa and I talked about this a lot, that you know, when she passed, when she was passing, that I was also passing, that that person who thought he was Ryan, um, who was whose life was so um, about being with Melissa uh, that that was passing. And I made a joke to a friend after she passed that now I have to enter the world of mortals. Um, because when I think about it, you know, before that time, before she got sick, uh, there was really not much that I would have truly needed to complain about. And now there's nothing I would complain about related to my life before that. Uh, but now being in a world where you know, that person no longer exists physically, as mentioned, she had been unbodied. And uh, about a month ago, uh, my mentor, my spiritual teacher, uh, Roy Davis, who's a Cree yoga teacher whom I met 
about 20 years ago, who was a very important part of both my life and Melissa's life, also passed. He was one of the, the final anchors to this idea of what I would consider the old Ryan to be. All this led to the creation of this podcast. Uh, I had been in Asheville teaching meditation, participating in this way, and I left Asheville and I came back to West Virginia and one of the people we're going to have on this podcast, Jim Norton, uh, he had been a friend of mine for a number of years since I graduated college. Uh, he married Melissa and I. He also did her memorial. He had started, or he and another individual who's also on this podcast, episode four, Jim Norton's episode two, uh, Jim Nolan's episode four, they had started a meditation group, a fantastic meditation group of wonderful people. And I was so amazed to show back up in West Virginia where um, probably the idea of a vegetarian is as rare as water in a desert to many people. Uh, and meditation is slowly starting to catch on and yoga is catching on more here as well. But to find a meditation group that made me go, wow, this is, this is, this is really a fantastic place to be. Uh, they, they do the meditation, but they also um, review books. And they were reviewing a book by uh, the writer Ken Wilber. And I don't know too much about Ken Wilber. Someone had mentioned him to me after Melissa had passed um, because he had also been deeply in love with someone. And then not too long after they got married, uh, she developed cancer. And I believe that uh, the book that she wrote was called Of Grace and Grit or something like that. I only read a little bit of it. Um, that's all I knew about him. But they were beginning to read this book called um, No Boundaries, I believe. And I was just listening to the conversation and participating in the meditations. But not too long ago, they came to page 79 in that book. And as I read it, numerous things came together for me. Number one, um, I'd for some reason been thinking about a podcast. And we'll get more into the reasons why soon. Uh, I've been trying to figure out, you know, what is it that, that needs to be shared? Because I have this YouTube channel going over meditation and Kriya Yoga, and I've got numerous books. And, you know, I've sort of come to a point at, right now where it seems like, well, what else can you really say about it? It's, it's not that complicated. And anyway, in this meditation group, this passage from Ken Wilber's book stuck out to me, and I'll read it to you. Because we demand a future, we live each moment in expectation and unfulfillment. We live each moment in passing. In just this way, the real, timeless present is reduced to the fleeting present, the passing present of a mere one or two seconds. We expect each moment to pass onto a future moment, for in this fashion we pretend to avoid death by always rushing toward an imagined future. We want to meet ourselves in the future. We don't want just now. We want another now, and another, and another, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. And thus, paradoxically, our impoverished present is fleeting precisely because we demand that it end. We want it to end so that it can thereby pass on to yet another moment, a future moment, which will in turn live only to pass. So I read this, and I remembered what Melissa wrote in her book, uh, lesson number nine, about be present because the future is an illusion. And after this came about, um, not more than a few days, I, again, I was thinking about the idea of a podcast, and I discovered that, oh, it's actually easy to do podcasts these days. I don't have to mess around with all the technical stuff. Many sites actually just do it for you. But I was in a coffee shop and the song Imagine came on. John Lennon's Imagine came on. And I'm, I was a huge Beatles fan in high school. And I very much liked John Lennon's later work. And Imagine, the line that, that was being sung right as I paid attention was, Imagine all the people living for today. 
imagine all the people living for today. And in a way, it all came together because I started thinking about Melissa's work in public health, and she was very focused on uh, what's called the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and how that impacts um, a society, how it impacts an individual. We're actually going to have some episodes on this, so stay tuned for that. And I never quite understood why she was so focused outwardly, socially in that regard. But it started to become clear that we are all in this together. And that when we're trapped in the past, whether it be due to adverse childhood experiences, which we don't understand or haven't developed resiliency from, or traumas such as um, you know, watching one's wife pass before your eyes, trying to make peace with that. All these things came together. And then even in uh, my teaching, because I, I teach Kriya Yoga, I have an online, two-year online course uh, that people participate in that concludes with a, an in-person retreat. Um, I, I, I continued working through Melissa's treatments and through taking care of her, and even through her death and her passing. And I, I was, at first, I was very secretive about what was going on. I didn't want to tell my students what was happening. But eventually I, I couldn't anymore. I had to let them know because there were going to be breaks in my ability to deliver classes and so on. I wanted to give them, I wanted to be as authentic and honest with them as possible. And Melissa kept saying, because she was very much interested in meditation and the Kriya Yoga process and very supportive of it, she kept saying, Ryan, um, I think that this experience is going to help you be much more effective in what you're meant to do in this world. And as I became more open with what was going on in my life and the changes that were happening, I began to hear about my students' stories. You know, another one who was going through lymphoma, one whose child died at the age of six while the class was going on, um, people dealing with homelessness, people dealing with serious uh, mental health issues, relationship problems. And I began to see that we can teach meditation and yoga all day long, but Melissa had an insight that we need to address very basic, practical things about how we live. We need to be honest about them. We can't just try to um, spiritually short-circuit them or try to get around them by ignoring them, by imagining that there's some you know, fantastic being in the sky that if we just pray hard enough, they'll take care of it. No, there, there are things that as human beings individually and as a society, we have to recognize and work through. And all of this came together and allowed me to realize that, yes, we need to discuss things like, what happens if you've experienced trauma in your life? How does that affect your ability to meditate, to live well, to be present for the people that are there now that love you, that you love? What happens when you are in a society where there is such social inequality and disparity and, and people, rather than trying to live up to what they admit to be a Christian standard of loving others and putting aside one's own needs for the good of others, how do you work in a society where there is hypocrisy in that regard, where you see people who are good people and you meet them and you talk to them and they're very good people. They're loving people. They're kind people. But then you start talking about politics and all these other things and the tribalism comes out and just separates and fragments our ability to be a healthy society and even a healthy individual because of all the anger and aggression that politics can bring out in people instead of trying to create a better culture you know, politics, in my mind, is about creating a healthier, better, supportive culture for everyone, not just for the few. We have to address these things. We have to look at these things. You know, when people would write to me and say things like, I'm having this relationship issue, and rather than saying, well, why don't you explore therapy or counseling for that? They say, oh, well, you know, shouldn't I just pray about it? Shouldn't I just, you know, these sorts of things. Or what do you do when a crisis of faith does occur? 
When you've lived your whole life believing a certain thing, experiencing a certain thing, only to find that what you believed, what you thought was real, just evaporates. And again, I'm speaking of my own experience here because one of the things that um, Melissa's illness and passing, the impact it had on me was a profound crisis of faith. And yet, I'm still working through it. I can feel myself coming through it. And if you talk to me now, you might not think I have any faith. <laughs> but that's not true. Um, there is a sense of faith in... Well, anyway, we'll, we'll save that for a whole other a whole other time. Because again, this, this is something that we could really expand upon in at least an hour or more of discussion. But the whole point of this podcast is to talk to people who are exploring things as in the the episode episode two with jim norton where we discuss trauma and this was stimulated by um, a student who asked me you know as i meditate i become more disturbed more disturbed thoughts come up i become more uneasy more restless uh, emotions and things that i don't want to remember come up and you know, when I teach my meditation classes, one of the first things I tell them is be as psychologically healthy as possible before you begin. Because that will save you a lot of problems. Because what happens is an individual begins meditating and they start making space in their mind and in their emotions. And then all these things that they've not dealt with, all these things which are still triggers and traumas deep down inside, they say, oh, well, look, here's our opportunity to rise up and, and be released, to be freed. But what an individual does is they, they back off, say, well, I can't meditate, and there's no way I can do that because now I'm thinking crazy, now I'm emotionally disturbed. And so knowing that, understanding how trauma functions within us and how it prevents us from being fully present in the now, um, if we can get a sense of that, if we can begin to hold that, we can find ways to work through it such that we can then settle into a more peaceful state in meditation, such that we can be more resilient in our life and not be so reactive. Because half the things that people do to you or that you do to others that are cruel or troublesome or harmful, I'm going to I'm just going to guess that probably 80% of that is probably going to be because of some trauma that they've not dealt with, some way they've been mistreated that they're not aware of, and so they're, they're reacting, they're not acting, they're unconscious. So we discuss in episode two, what is the reality of that? And Jim Norton, he, he's in his late 70s now, he's been a, a Methodist minister and he's worked with people, he's... He's seen difficulties. He's lived through um, great changes in, in, in our society. and uh, So he's seen a lot of these things. And I think he has an important perspective. And he himself, who's recently come more specifically to the ideas of meditation and learning to really heal the mind and the body such that you can live well, these are things that help us live for today, to be here now, which is what is most important, such that we're not doing what Ken Wilber says, such as trying to get to the next moment. So we kill our life. We, we, we strangle our life by being where we are. We say, wait, but the next moment's going to be better. And the greater capacity we have to work through trauma the greater capacity we will have to actually settle into what, to either what is beautiful and peaceful right now, because there's a lot of those moments and we miss them. Or if there is a, a trouble happening or a difficulty happening, we can be as present as possible such that we are able to respond appropriately and not make more of a problem. You know, one of my crises in faith uh, going through uh, helping Melissa through her transition was, well, why did we do all this? Why, why were we a vegetarian? Why did we meditate? Why did we practice yoga? Why did we take care of ourselves if at the age of 42 you were going to just die? Why? And we learned consistently that all the skills that we learned through meditation allowed us to be as present as possible and to learn and to grow and to be with the people we love while the transition was occurring with as little fear 
with as little regret and as little despair as possible. It's going to be there because that's just the nature of that experience. But it doesn't have to overshadow everything, and it didn't. And again, we'll talk more about that, I think. Why did we eat well and take care of ourselves and so on? Well, the treatments that she went through, she responded so well to them. And, and the thought was because of how well she took care of herself through her diet, through managing her stress. Um, you know, even at, even at the worst part of the whole treatment, she was still making herself walk three miles a day. And that was so good for the organs in her body and her, her mental state. So, you know, could, could that have happened if there was all of this backlog of trauma and difficulty pulling us into great despair, pulling her into great despair? I don't think so. Another guest we're going to have, uh, another Jim, Jim Nolan, um, he was an ex, or he was a police officer, and he saw how the ideas of force and fighting evil and trying to suppress uh, the bad people in the world were just not working. And he began to see that there, that the problems that cause criminality and difficulties are global. It's not, it has to do with our, our society, our environment. And it's not just for the people who are criminals, it's sustained and supported by everyone else who is completely unconscious about the difficulties that are in the world. So in episode four, we're going to talk with Jim Nolan about his ideas. It's called Indra's Net. Indra's Net. And that's a Vedic myth from India, thousands of years old, about how we are all interconnected and that what happens to one of us impacts all of us and that we need to be aware of that if we're actually going to do something to make this society better, to actually truly make it great again, dare I say. <laughs> or is it maybe not great again, maybe as good as it can be. Um, Understanding relationships is extremely important. Many people from a spiritual perspective have this idea that they need to be with a person who's on the exact same path as them, that there's all these misconceptions about what does it take to make a good and healthy relationship. Um, and so we're going to be, I'm going to be talking with a colleague of mine who, uh, oddly enough, has also lost a spouse, but despite that, has found uh, another supportive relationship and a very loving relationship. And so she has a history of knowing what it takes to make a relationship work truly. And while I personally have made plenty of mistakes and have had plenty of regrets related to how I uh, have been in relationships, when I look back, I see the growth that has come and I see the hard facts I had to face to make a relationship truly work. And it wasn't always just fantastic all the time. There was confrontation, there was difficulty, but in the end, there was always this rising above and learning and growing. So we're going, we, we're going to have an episode where we discuss what does it really truly take to make a relationship work? Going beyond the fantasy, going beyond the fiction of it. Uh, and one of my students uh, in the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, a very intelligent individual, was diagnosed with uh, an autoimmune condition that if he had not started serious, uh, even chemotherapy drugs, the, the doctors told him that he would be crippled uh, before he was even, I think, in his 30s. And he's quite a bit younger than me. I don't think he's in his 30s yet. But he ended up exploring alternative ways of, of treating that and found that through certain dietary approaches, he did not have to take these heavy-duty cancer drugs, and he is free of the affliction that could have crippled him. So we're going to be talking with him about what is involved in that, because it's not just diet. It's also things like managing stress. It's also things like doing some self-observation about what kind of mental-emotional states might contribute to those problems. I mean, how many people do you know that have had heart attacks that when you're around them, you can tell they're a ticking time bomb. You know, anything is about ready to set them off. They can be the nicest person in the world, but you let something go wrong just barely. And all of a sudden they're snapping at their spouse and they're being nasty or they're um, honking their horn and, and being overly aggressive to another person that maybe didn't deserve it. In that kind of sense, you can see how 
heart conditions potentially may be tied to unresolved emotional anger and aggression. But these are things that many of you probably don't need to uh, be told because some things are, are kind of obvious, such as that. But for those of you that's not, we're going to go into that in this episode uh, with Mitch and how healing can occur, but also just like with relationships, it takes hard work. And this is why the whole purpose of the podcast is, uh, the tagline is exploring the boundary between reality and spirituality. Because in my mind, spirituality is not to be this thing that you hide yourself away in a big brick building and burn some incense and try to meet your imagined aspect of God. Spirituality is about developing greater awareness such that you understand what love is, such that you understand how we are all related and that by how, you, how your actions, the, the way you treat yourself and the way you treat others impacts your own health your own well-being, your own, the planet itself. And so spirituality is, is about living well, being well. That way, when the time comes and it's time for you to leave your body, you can because your regrets are minimal. You've done your best in this world. You are ready to merge with that infinite consciousness from where you came. And some people are going to refer to that as God and to heaven and so on. It doesn't matter because those are just cultural, mental differences. But at the end of it all, are we able to say we lived a good life? We lived a good life. That is, in my mind, what spirituality is about. And then the idea of the boundary between reality and spirituality, what is realistically required such that that is the case. And again, I'm going to refer back to Melissa's book and one of her lessons, Treat Yourself and Others with Compassion. She says, as I described earlier, most of us experience some sort of childhood trauma which impacts our brains and nervous system for years. I find it helps me to think of adults as children who have been hurt, who happen to be in grown-up bodies. We frequently never know what experiences our friends and colleagues and even families have had as children, or how those experiences shaped a person's sense of self. Because of this, we all need to treat ourselves and others with compassion as we navigate and learn over time how our own life experiences have shaped us. And then lesson 10, the final lesson that I have found uh, in my own exploration of what people have learned through near-death experiences or profound mystical states what it all comes down to her lesson 10 give more love and that's what she was all about at the end and when i've researched near-death experiences and people who've had mystical experiences it comes down to this principle which in the end is true spirituality and so the whole point of this podcast is how can we realistically be able to do that in an authentic way and this is what she wrote for give more love. I've experienced and received more love since my diagnosis than I could have imagined possible. My husband and family have taken such good care of me. I was lucky to have really wonderful family in this life. I'm blessed beyond belief to live 23 years with my soulmate and best friend. I was joyed to have meaningful work, and when I look back on my experiences, I have no regrets. Most of the time now, I feel absolutely liberated, free, and my heart overflows with love. The last words of Steve Jobs, who read Autobiography of a Yogi at 17 and was a lifelong meditator, were, Oh wow, oh wow, oh wow, now I shall see. So she wrote this at the end of her life. Can you imagine being able to feel that way? Can you imagine actually feeling the sense of liberation and being free? And I think that we do this um, by being as authentic as possible. And we can only do that by knowing, by having greater self-awareness of who we are, where we've come from, what kinds of wounds and traumas do we have, and how do we do the hard work in life such that we are free. And it's all going to come back to this idea of being authentic. Um, I had gone to Las Vegas to be with Melissa's brother on her birthday. 
because it's the first time I've known her that I've not been with her on her birthday. And I'm very close to her brother. And I told him, I said, you know, what, what kind of bugs me most is how hard of a time I have living those 10 lessons that she wrote in her book. I, I just, I want her life to be honored in that way. And he looked at me and he said, look, Ryan, he said, where she was at that point in time, she had let go of so much baggage, almost all of her baggage. And he said, I don't think we've actually quite done that yet. <laughs> and I think it's probably right in that regard, but we can, we can do it now. We can find ways to do it. And so the whole point of this podcast is to explore, number one, what is going to allow us to develop greater self-awareness such that we live the freest, most authentic spiritual life possible? Not giving into fantasy, not trying to sweep things under the rug that we don't want to look at, but really, truly engaging life, being in the now. And then how can we do that in such a way that we recognize our role and our responsibility to our communities, to our society, to our spouses, to our children, to each other? How can we do that? Um, one woman that I'm going to be interviewing, her name's Heather. Um, I met her through Melissa, and I met her after we were beginning the transition process for Melissa. In fact, uh, she... She was so highly thought of by Melissa that when Melissa planned out her um, uh, her memorial service, because she had it all planned out, she was certainly a planner, she saw my eyes glaze over as she was trying to describe to me what she wanted done. And she said, look, you get out your phone and you start recording this. And so 40 minutes later, she had outlined everything she wanted for a memorial. And she said, now you contact Heather and you ask her if she'll take care of all of this for you. Because Heather was a project manager, much like Melissa. And of course, Heather said yes. But anyway, I've since gotten to know Heather very well. And I consider her to be um, one of my dearest friends, right up there with uh, Jim Norton and Melissa. And one of the things that we talk about quite a bit when we've gotten together at those few times I've passed through Asheville since then is this idea of, how did she describe it? Um, we might have to wait and have her describe it, but it's this idea of, of being in life when you see such good things in life, and yet you also realize that there are such horrible things in life now. How do we be authentically in the good while also recognizing the other side of it? One of the things I wrote down in my notes as we plan her episode, because we haven't recorded as of this date, was uh, oh, in the end, that was it, in the end. Not just either or, but in the end. <laughs> How can it be so good and shitty at the same time? <laughs> now that's a silly paraphrase, and she'll put it a lot more eloquently than that. Um, but this has come up so often because even in Melissa's passing, there was such beauty, there was such well-being, there was such healing occurring. But we looked at the body dying, her body dying as a problem. When That's a natural thing. But it's still painful. So how can we be in the end, in the end of the beauty and the glory and the healing, while also recognizing what, what is being lost? That was my particular experience. She has her own, which we'll discuss. Or even later, when, when personally I recognize where I am in life. Melissa kept saying, I wouldn't take back a minute. And I, I'm almost there. But when I feel who I am, how I, how I personally have learned through this experience, where I am ge geographically. Um, since her passing, I've met a woman that I, I could not even imagine have, have, have ever met. And realizing that, wow, this experience can continue in a completely different way. The place I am in West Virginia, the, the people that are around me, the, the opportunities that are now here that, that would not have been there had this difficult experience have occurred, it's mind-boggling to me, and it, it's, 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 it creates such dissonance because on one hand, I am so overjoyed to be able to 
create this podcast to have the work that I now have from the point of view that I now have um, to be with the people in this life and again this this woman that I met and um, the wonderful relationship I have with her daughter and her family things I would never have dreamed possible but then there's the the contrast of, of why how I got here and do I look at that as a horrendous thing I wished had never happened or do I say well Maybe there's a bigger picture here, and maybe it's in the end, it's in the sorrow and the grief of the loss, but also looking at the potential for joy and growth from that. I think that in the episode that I do with one of my astrology students, or past astrology students, his name is Vincent, and he's an Ayurvedic practitioner, and I believe he's in his early 70s, and he's experienced a lot of life, but also a lot of death, and he has a, a very interesting view, one that I share as well, about how to, how to look at this idea of life and death as a beautiful thing, as a beautiful thing. So we'll be, I'll be talking with him, uh, Vincent, in another episode. So I've got quite a cast of characters lined up, and that's not all of them, um, for this season one of the Living for Today podcast. So I hope you stay tuned, and I hope you... Um, again, I don't know how these podcasts work. I think you you follow it or something like that. <laughs> but I hope you find a way to follow it so that you can stay updated when new podcasts are created. But we'll see where this goes. We'll start with season one, and we'll have these interviews, and we'll discuss these in what I consider to be important topics to really be participating in life, to really be alive, and we'll see where it takes us. So be well, and thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time.